Well, good evening. Uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Uh, we will, we actually kind of got in a little bit of chapter 2 last week. I think we did the first five verses, so we'll pick up at verse 6. And then the plan is for us to uh, really cover the rest of the chapter. So it's uh, Colossians 2, chap uh, chapter 2, verse 6 through 23. We will really focus more on the first half of those verses. We'll make reference to some of the stuff in that second half. But we will kind of cover, um, like I said, the rest of chapter 2 tonight. Uh, so Colossians chapter 2. To begin tonight, I did want to just share a, a brief little story about me um, from uh, right after I became a Christian. So I've, I, I don't really remember the timeline. I've been saved for a few months at least. I know it was less than a year. And so I'm sitting at home, and there is a knock on my door. So I go to answer the door. I think maybe, maybe my mom answered to somebody, but she brings me to the door, and there are these two guys standing there, and they are wearing black dress pants, button-up white shirts, and ties, and they had come to our front door riding bicycles. And uh, they proceed to tell us that they are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I remember going out to my, to, onto our front porch, and I sat out there with them a little bit. Again, remember, new believer, only been a Christian for a few months now, sat out there with them, and they proceeded to tell me all about their church and their beliefs. And I remember they read some verses to me, but it was not verses out of the Bible. It was Book of Mormon that they were reading to me from. And, and I remember um, he actually used this kind of this analogy. He says, if, you go, if, you're, if you're buying a car and you go to the Ford dealership, the Ford salesman is going to tell you that Ford's the best car. Go to the Chevy place, the Chevy guy is going to tell you that Chevy's the best car. On and on and on. Right? Everybody's going to argue for whatever, whoever they work for, right? And he tried to use that analogy to say, well, you go to a Baptist church. And so obviously the Baptists are going to tell you that that's what's right and what's true. So... Just listen, so I'm from the, the Church of Latter-day Saints or the Mormon Church, so just listen to this. And so I remember, again, I wasn't uh, mature in my faith enough to be able to engage in that conversation, to be able to defend the Christian faith in any way at that point. I remember just listening, and I remember one of the guys wrote his name and his phone number in the back of that Book of Mormon, and then he handed it to me and let me keep it as my free gift. Well, obviously, hopefully, you've been able to figure out that as I'm standing right here preaching to you in a Christian church, a Baptist church, that I did not, uh, I didn't make that phone call. I didn't read those verses anymore. I did keep that Book of Mormon for a little while. I don't know where it is now. I couldn't find it when I tried to, like, hunt it down the other day. But um, the reason I share that story with you is that even though I did not, uh, didn't become, convert to Mormonism, that moment did spark an interest, maybe a kind of a brief fascination with other beliefs, uh, other religions. Uh, maybe you might even use the word cults. And so I was, began to be interested in them, began to study them as a teenager, as a new Christian. 
And I remember I started thinking like, you know, back in elementary school, I had this friend who was a Jehovah's Witness. I wonder what they believe. And got, uh, I remember studying in school in history class, social studies, you would have to learn about uh, Islam or Buddhism and different things like that. And so I started becoming very curious about those things. And I started to express some of that at the church that I went to. And I remember a, he was actually the, the boys Sunday school teacher for my age group, high school boys, uh, said to me that before, and I remember I, like, I would, I guess, kind of justify that interest by telling everybody, well, the reason I want to study them so much is because I want to learn as a Christian how to fight against them, how to argue against them, right? And so what that man told me, very wise Christian man told me that before you get ready as a new believer to go out and do spiritual battle with all the false religions of the world, you need to make sure that your own faith is secured in the truth of who Jesus is. And turns out that gentleman knew exactly what he was talking about because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wanted for the people of the Colossian church. As we have been studying this letter that he wrote to them so long ago, he was writing because there were false teachings. There were false teachings outside the church, as we're going to see, and there were some false teachings that had even crept inside of the church. And those false teachings did need to be addressed. But before he jumped into the false teachings and talking about how wrong they were, he actually started with what did we read in, in chapter 1? It was all about Jesus. He, he exalted Jesus and told them everything they could ever want to know about who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the head of the body, the church. And he has reconciled us, made peace with God for us by the blood of his cross. And so now that he has talked about that, and even talked about, as we said two weeks ago, how if we follow Christ, the, the suffering that we would experience, but that suffering is worth it because God is going to use that suffering, our suffering, to expand his kingdom through all nations. And so as we've talked about that, now in chapter 2, in this text, we do come to the portion of the letter where Paul does deal directly with some of the false teachings that the people of Colossae were dealing with. And we don't know exactly what they were teaching. We, we do know how Paul responded to it, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. But again, instead of focusing on all the things out there that, that are wrong, we want to be aware of those things, but ultimately we want to focus on what is true. So let's read the truth found in God's word, beginning with verse 6. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead." 
and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink and with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So the, our, our task tonight is to, to really do two things. I want to encourage you to do two things. And so uh, we've got some sub-points along the way, but the message tonight has two main points, and that is we want to reject the lies of the world, what, they, what the world has to say about Jesus, and we want to receive the truth about Jesus. So first, we're going to look at how we need to reject the lies about Christ. We need to reject the lies about Christ. And so we're going to come back to verses 6 and 7 in just a few minutes. I want to draw your attention to what he says in verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So he's warning them here. There are people out there who are going to tell you false things. There are people who are going to tell you things that might sound good, these, these philosophies, but that is just empty deceit. It's outright lies. It, and he says, according to human tradition. So it might sound good to people, but the book of Proverbs tells us that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. So there are lots of teachings out there. There are lots of false teachers out there, and they sound good. And uh, their teachings, maybe, maybe they're real charismatic, and they're captivating. And what they, what they say sounds good to us. It's something that we want to go after. But it is a very dangerous thing for us to do. Because these people will lead us astray and pull us away from the truth of Christ Jesus. We cannot afford to believe those lies. In fact, this whole sinfulness thing that we have to struggle with on a daily basis. How did that begin? Way back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. See, God had told them one thing, but they chose to believe the lies of a snake instead. So we cannot afford to believe the lies that that snake is still telling us. So we have to reject the lies about Christ. And so there were really two main influences or two main uh, sources of, of these lies that were going on. So it was just two different cultural influences. So one of them was the sort of the Gentile world. So these people, they were 
in this, they started this church in this town called Colossae, and they were Gentiles. They were not ethnically Jewish. And so their Gentile culture was telling them that Christ is not enough. So the, that's the first lie that we need to reject. Christ is not enough. You see, the Gentile people, most of them, maybe all of them, were raised up in a polytheistic culture. So that means they believed in many, many gods. And so often, they would be okay with somebody if you chose to become a Christian. If, it was okay if you want to worship Jesus, as long as you worship him right alongside all the others. Just, just keep on worshiping. You can worship Jesus, but keep on worshiping this God and this God and this God and this God. Keep all those other idols in your life. And the belief there is that, yeah, Jesus is great, he's good, he's powerful, he does all these neat things, but he's not going to be enough for you. You're going to need all these other gods, all these other idols in your life too to make up for where Jesus is lacking. And again, that is a lie that is still being told today. There are people in this, in this community, in our neighboring communities, who will claim to be Christians, who probably attend church on a regular basis, at least somewhat regular basis. But if you look at their lives, yes, they, they know the truth about Jesus. They can even tell you, maybe even quote Bible verses, maybe even share the gospel with you. But if you look at how they live their lives, they're not just worshiping Jesus. They're worshiping all sorts of other things as well. They're worshiping their jobs. They're worshiping uh, power or maybe uh, some kind of influence. Or maybe they're worshiping uh, a, a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe they're worshiping uh, their children. Or maybe uh, just the, the, the idea of the American dream of accumulating as more, uh, more and more stuff as much as they can. Uh, maybe they're worshiping their hobbies. Maybe they're worshiping their favorite sports team. But whatever the case is, Jesus is just another God on a long list of gods that they have chosen to give their devotion to. And so this is something that we cannot afford to do. Uh, he makes reference to some of these different things. Like he mentions these elemental spirits a few times uh, in verse 8 and also a little later. Uh, verse 18, he talks about worshiping angels. Verse 23 talks about this being like a self-made religion. And he even talks about this asceticism that's kind of involved in this uh, polytheistic religion uh, at the time. He mentions that in verse 18 and verse 23, all these different things. These are just many different ways that the people of this time were worshiping gods other than Jesus because they had fallen captive to the lie that Christ alone is not enough. There's a second lie, and that is the belief that Christ is not needed. This is a, a different influence. So if, if one side said that Christ is not enough, the other side said that he's not needed at all. And so this is actually kind of a different source. If that was a people of a Gentile background, this idea that Christ is not needed, um, I'm going to give you a word you probably are familiar with if you have any kind of background in church, and this, it's this idea of legalism. Legalism is the notion that by keeping all the rules, you can earn your own salvation. If I work hard enough, if I obey what the law says, 
Well, then I'm going to, because of such a, what a good job I've done, I'm going to place God in my debt and force him to allow me into heaven. I'm going to earn it. I'm going to do it myself. And if you believe that, then you think that you don't actually need Jesus. You don't need Christ. You're going to be able to earn that yourself. Like I said, that, the first one was very prevalent among the, the Gentile culture. This second one was much more prevalent amongst those of a Jewish background. See, most Christians, pretty much, almost all Christians of this time, the earliest Christians were former Jews. And so that means that they had lived pretty much all of their life in this Jewish culture, and they had been taught that the way that they earned God's favor was through keeping the law. And so you see this in, in verses 11 through 13. He makes multiple references to circumcision. Then in verse 16, he talks about eating the right foods, drinking the right drinks, attending the right festivals, and even properly observing the Sabbath. And so it's this, this idea of keeping the law. And if I obey the law in the right way, then God is going to reward me. I'm going to be able to earn my own salvation. I love this illustration. I got this, stole this from my favorite uh, preachers, a guy named Matt Chandler, and he says that when we run to the law for salvation, we're making a drastic mistake. He compares it to, he says that the law is like an x-ray machine. See, if you hurt your arm, you go to the doctor and they give you an x-ray. The only thing that the x-ray can do is tell you that your arm is broken. That x-ray machine can't do anything at all to fix your arm, to repair your arm. It just points out where it's broken. The law can't fix us. It just shows us that we're sinners. When we look at the Ten Commandments and it says, thou shalt not lie or steal or kill, and then we see those rules, and then we, we say, oh, that's, I've told a lie before, or I've stolen before, I've said the Lord's name in vain before, and it just shows us where we fall short. It shows us where we're broken. If we want salvation, we can't earn it ourselves because we're sinful, broken people. We need to run to something else. In verse 17, he says that these things, the law, all those things that I mentioned in verse 16, these things are just a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And then at the end of this text in verse 23, he even goes a little bit further and he says that all these things, this the things that look wise as an appearance of wisdom, the things that promote the self-made religion, the asceticism, severity of the body, these things have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These, these other idols that aren't alive or, or the law that points out how broken you are, none of these things can properly deal with our sin issues. If we want freedom from this, we need something that is better than a self-made religion, better than self-denial, better than worshiping angels or elemental spirits, better than the law and all the rules, better than any kind of food or festivals, better than just a shadow that has no substance. We've got to run to something much greater than all those things. We run to Christ Jesus. So that leads us to our second main point. So first, we want to reject the lies about Jesus. But secondly, we need to receive 
the truth about Christ. Reject the lies about Christ. Receive the truth about Christ. Back up now to verses 6 and 7. Read these again. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Many of the commenta- commentaries that are read in like, preparation for this uh, said that these two verses were really the heart of this letter. This is really the turning point of this letter. See, Paul, he, he typically, his letters kind of follow a pattern where he begins by telling you the gospel, and then the second part is in light of the gospel, this is how you live your life. Well, this is sort of the turning point for that. He had given us everything we needed to know about the one true Christ, and then now he says, therefore, as you have received this Christ, now walk in him. And so what does that walk look like? Well, in order for us to properly walk in Christ, in order for us to receive the truth about Christ, we need to deepen our intimacy with Christ. We must deepen our intimacy with Christ. So we talk about how we need to reject the lies. We need to receive the truth. Well, the way that we receive the truth about Christ is by receiving Christ. See, there's... Uh, you probably have heard preachers uh, like make this distinction before, but there's a big difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. Like, I know lots of people who get like, really caught up with different celebrities, an actor, or a musician, or an athlete, and they know everything there is to know about them. They know their whole life story. They don't genuinely know that person. So we can't just, if we receive the truth about Christ, we can't just learn facts about who he is and what he taught. No, we actually have to have a personal relationship with him. We need to know Christ Jesus. So we want to deepen our intimacy with him. We want to genuinely know him. And we see in verses six and seven some things that we need to do if we want to deepen that relationship with him. So we must, first we must be grounded in Christ. If you look at the very first word in Verse 6, it, that relationship that we have in Christ needs to be rooted. We need to be rooted in Christ. So it's the idea of when a plant, the thing that like, keeps a plant from being pulled out of the ground is how strong its roots are. Like the, the deeper those roots are, the more spread out those roots are. With some plants, the way that those roots intertwine with other nearby plants, the stronger those roots are, the stronger they're going to be. The, the more difficult it's going to be to pull them out of the ground. So, so the deeper our roots run in Christ Jesus, the more difficult it is going to be for these false teachers to lead us astray. And so our relationship with Jesus needs to be grounded, needs to be rooted, secure, holding fast to the faith that we have in him. Then the next word, uh, looking just a little bit further in verse 7, says rooted and built up. So we need to be grounded in Christ, but we also need to be growing in Christ. So being built up, it's the idea of something like being constructed, being built from the ground up. I think it was two weeks ago I made reference to uh, Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount and the end of it that is in Matthew chapter 7, he talks about 
the, uh, the man who builds his house on the solid rock and the man who builds his house on the sand. And so we, we obviously, we want to build our house, build our lives on that firm foundation. We want to build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. But as we look at this text and says we need to have faith that is rooted and built up, we need to acknowledge the fact that we actually need to build something on the rock. A firm foundation without anything built on it is just a rock. And so we want to build something. We want to grow in our faith. We want to continue moving forward. And, and which, by the way, uh, we've got to be careful with how I say that, just not moving forward. We don't move beyond the truth of Jesus. We don't move from the gospel to something else. No, we just continue growing deeper in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need faith that is grounded in Christ. We need faith that is growing in Christ. And we also need to be grateful for Christ. That last phrase in verse 7 says, abounding in thanksgiving. We'll talk about that as we respond in just a few moments. So we need to deepen our intimacy with Christ. But we also as we begin to finish up here tonight, we need to, we must define our identity in Christ. We must define our identity in Christ. You see, not only do we need to avoid the lies that the world has, has about Christ, we need to reject the lies that the, the world has to say about Christ, we also need to reject the lies that the world has when it talks about us. You see, if we start to believe what they say about Jesus, then we'll also start to believe what they have to say about you and me. And those things, those are lies as well. We have to reject that. We don't listen to what the world has to say about us. We don't listen to what the father of lies, Satan, the snake, has to say about us. No, if we want to find, find our identity, we need to find it in who God says we are. We need to find that in who Christ says we are. And so skip down to verses, uh, like we're going to, beginning with verse 12, let's look at what God has to say about us. Who does God say we are? And so in verse 12, he says that we've been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And then in verse 13, he says, and you. So now he had talked about what Jesus has done, how Jesus was risen from the grave, but then he points his finger at us. Verse 13, and you. You were dead in your trespasses. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made us alive with Christ. So, because of Christ. So that's the first thing I want us to know that God says to say about us. God says that we are alive. We were dead, but because of Jesus, God has made us alive. We, we, we have a, a, a former lifestyle that is marked by sin and leads us to spiritual death, this emptiness that we experience. But in Christ, there is vibrant life. And, you know, when we think about life in Christ, our minds typically go to, to everlasting life in heaven. 
And that is true, and that is something that we need to rejoice about and celebrate, but it's not something that we just wait for, because everlasting life with Jesus isn't something that happens after we die. It actually begins at the moment of our salvation. And it's something that we get to experience and enjoy right now if you are in Christ. Jesus, John 10, verse 10, says that he came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. And so life in Jesus is something that we can enjoy right now. So he says that we are alive. Continuing on in verse 13, he also says that we are forgiven. Verse 13, he says, uh, so God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Every, if you can kind of imagine this, every, think about it this way, like every time we sin, think about it as a charge to our account. Like every time, it's like something, there's this, this negative that's hit, we're hit with. And so every time we sin, it's just, we get hit again, another charge, another charge, and another charge. And you can keep on charging for as long as you like, as much as you like. Just keep in mind, eventually, somebody's got to pay the bill. What he's just told us and what he's told us throughout all of Scripture is that Christ has paid it all. That he took this and he was able to pay the penalty that we could not. He gave his life for us. If you think about a court case, if you're like a judge says you're guilty of some kind of crime and, and the penalty for that is that you have to pay a fine but you don't have the money to pay it, well, you're just gonna go to prison. But if somebody volunteers to pay that for you, you get to walk free. Jesus gave his life for us so that we could be free, so that we could experience life and not have to experience the punishment that we deserved. So those are two things that we need to know about ourselves that are only possible when we define our identity in Christ, when we place our faith in him. Without Jesus, we are dead. In Jesus, we are alive. Without Jesus, we are guilty. In Jesus, we are forgiven. We're gonna conclude our service tonight like we have the last several weeks. We're gonna pray and we're going to respond in praise, but I want you to know that as we have looked at these verses, you can find this life. You can find forgiveness in Christ Jesus. We need to admit our sin. We need to acknowledge the things that we've done wrong and we need to uh, confess them to the Lord. We need to uh, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he is the image of the invisible God and that he did give his life for us and we need to confess him as our Savior and Lord. And maybe there's somebody here tonight who needs to do that. As we stand to sing in just a little while, uh, there's gonna be some people over here in this room or maybe even after the service, after everybody's done and people are leaving, maybe you wanna come over here and have a, just a conversation with someone. They would love to tell you more about this Christ.
But then as we keep reading, one last thing, as we read the, this last little bit in verse 15, he has one last thing he wants to say about us. We are alive, we are forgiven, and in Christ, we are victorious. Verse 15, he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Colin kind of a, uh, uh, like alluded to this at the very beginning of the service tonight, but apparently uh, just a little while ago, some kind of football game got started. Um, and I don't know where you guys fall. I don't know if you've got like a team that you're pulling for. Maybe you just care about the commercials or the halftime show. Maybe you don't, you're going to watch it at all. Um, like he said, I'm just real thankful you guys are here to join us tonight. But I do know that at the end of that game tonight, one of those teams is going to hold up a trophy. And those players are going to be real excited. Their fan base is going to be real excited. They're going to be rejoicing over their victory. Brothers and sisters, we have a much greater victory that we can be rejoicing over tonight. That Christ Jesus has victory over sin, victory over the grave, victory over our enemy, Satan, the father of lies, the one who keeps telling us all these false things. But through Christ, we can reject those lies and we can rest in his truth. So we're gonna spend some time tonight praying. Like we've said the last several weeks, maybe you wanna to gather together in small groups, maybe you wanna pray alone, maybe you wanna get down on your knees, maybe you need to stand up, but I wanna encourage you to spend some time tonight praying as we put just a few things up on the screen that we're gonna pray for first. As we, earlier, we looked at verse seven and I pointed out those last three words, abounding in thanksgiving. I want us to start our time of prayer tonight, giving thanks to God for providing Jesus, his son, our savior. Bow your heads and let's pray together. As you continue in an attitude of prayer, uh, and draw your attention back to what we read in verse eight, how he commanded us not to allow anyone to take us captive with this philosophy, empty deceits, the human tradition, elemental spirits, all these different things. So uh, with that in mind, let us join together and ask God to help all believers 
to turn away from the false teachings about Jesus that are present in this world. Let's continue to pray. And lastly, as we look back at what Paul wrote in verse 6, it says, as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, now we need to walk in him. So ask God to help all believers, including us here tonight, to know the truth about Jesus more intimately so that we might be better able to walk in him. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you loved us so much that you have sent your son for us. We thank you that he gave his life for us. And we thank you that we can rest in the truth of your word and what it has to say about him, what it has to say about us. And we can stand secure in your promises. Dear Lord, we do ask for your help. We ask that you would help us to be able to discern with wisdom when others out in the world, or maybe even people who have made their way into our churches, say things about Jesus or say things uh, that 
even using your holy word and, and twisting it in such a way that it might lead people astray. Help us to be aware of that. Help us to be able to, to notice that, to be able to point it out to others, and help us to be able to reject that. Help us to be able to turn away from Satan's lies. Let us never believe the, the false statements that he has to say about you, false statements that he has to say about us. Instead, let us turn to the truth that we see in Scripture. In, in books like Colossians, God, that, that lift up Jesus Christ, exalt Jesus Christ. Help us to believe those things. Help us to believe all the, about who he is and his greatness, his, his power, his authority. Help us to believe all the things that he has done and how he has rescued us and saved us from our sinfulness and from the grave. Help us to believe that in him we can be forgiven. Help us to always believe that in Jesus we can be victorious. God, we thank you for all these things. And it is in the name of this Jesus that we voice this prayer. Amen. Let's stand together and sing praise to him.